We're in Romans chapter 8, and I was asked by a young man this morning when I was going to be done. If it's Romans chapter 8. The, the answer is, is somewhat simple. Uh, after verse 39, we're done. And we are on verse 30, and this is Sermon 35. So, since December is Christmas messages, we've got a handful of weeks in November, and so I'm going to guess this will spill over into the new year. That's my wild guess, because I don't want to shortchange any part of this chapter, and I think it's a... It's a good one for us. And so, maybe your Bible actually opens to it now, when you turn to it. I know somebody tore their page out, and they just keep it. Well, Dale's got, look at that, he's just, we're wearing out his bindings. Romans chapter 8. But, please join me there, Romans chapter 8. Today, we're going back, I skipped verse, the rest of verse 30, and 31 so that I could hit 32 last week for our communion service. And now I'm backing up to where we left off. And that's in chapter 30. And so for the context's sake, let's start at 28 and do 28, 29, and 30. This is God's great program that we're looking at in this section. It says in 28, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. To those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's where we are today, in that last section of verse 30. Heavenly Father, we need your help as we open up your word. It is the living word. It is active, Lord. It's powerful. It has really challenged our hearts in this series as we spend time in Romans 8. It's reminded us of a lot of things, and among all of those things is how greatly you love us. That that's, That is so humbling for us. That is yet so marvelous for us. To know how much you love us, how much you have truly invested in our lives and our eternity, and how much it costs. As we saw last week, you gave your son. You gave your son for us. Lord, thank you so much. May we have the proper attention to your word today that would reflect a a thankful heart for all that you have done. These words are not carelessly written on the page, and we should not carelessly look at them. But may we be involved in the study today, with our hearts and our minds ready to be captivated by God's Word, to make its impact in our lives, in our thinking. And may it be that we are changed forever, because of just a few moments in your word today. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives to make us like Christ. So we humbly submit to your word and ask that your mighty work might be done in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I like the, the word secure. As you know, I've been pounding on that word a lot in the last uh, year. To be secure in God's love. That's what verse 30 all the way to the end of the chapter uh, highlights for us. And we got a small glimpse of that last week. Uh, it has been my endeavor to convince you of God's love for you and how secure you are in His plan. And that's why we're going through this process. I'm not making this up. Just so you know, I, I haven't come up with some clever idea and I'm trying to make Scripture say these things. This is what Scripture says. I read it in God's Word. I just simply show it to you week after week. Uh, in one sense, it's the easiest job on earth. Just like God's Word say what it has to say. Uh, this is what God has recorded for us. Once I, I read... I was reading an article, an opponent to the doctrine of the rapture. Uh, I, as you know, I believe the rapture with all my heart. And I believe it's going to happen at any time now. Uh, And it's the first thing, as far as the chronology of end times for us, that's the first thing coming. So I've told you all that before. Well, this writer I was reading uh, wrote that we believe in the rapture only because we do not want to go through the tribulation. And I said, well, yeah. Who does want to go through the tribulation? That's not the only reason, but, I mean, to me, it sounded like he'd rather go through it. I don't know what points you get for that, or whatever he thought was, we were cowards, because we didn't want to go through the tribulation. I don't want to go through it. Well, people sometimes will accuse those who hold to the security of the believer as, Weak individuals. You know, it's even worse than that, folks. I'm helpless. (laughs) Absolutely helpless. But to say that we're weak individuals, somehow uh, we are discrediting the ability of man and putting aside his faith or his efforts or his ability to hold firm to the end and all these other things. And and I just want to make my position very simple as I state these things. I do not have faith in man at all. That's where I stand. I don't, I don't have faith in man. I don't have faith in myself either. My faith solely rests and completely upon the God who has promised me eternal life because I have faith in Jesus. That's where I stand on the whole point. So when he says, in this you have peace, I say, I've got peace. If he says, this is your joy, that's where my joy is. And that's why I enjoy reading this chapter and sharing it with you. This is the joy that comes from God's truth. And I relish it. I relish it. And I, I, I relish the fact that I and you as a believer in Christ are securing God's plan. I could rest in this. Uh, regardless of what critics might say as to uh, the motivation for us believing such things, I believe it because God said so. And so... As I've been reading verse number 28 to 30 several times over and over for you, the first three words in the New American Standard, even in the Greek, is, and we know. And that's a great place to start. We know. That's oida in the Greek. That's, that we, we talk about a complete type of knowledge, a, a perfect type of knowledge, uh, a mature type of knowledge. That's what we have. Because... We know that it's God who calls this. 
He's the subject of all the actions we're reading of. God is the one who is the source of the plan. He's the initiator of the program. He thought it up. He put it in motion. He paid for it with his son. He brings about the results. He guarantees the work. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But God calls us all things to work together, and as we study this passage, to a good thing. To a good thing. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. So, those who He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Now, that's His goal for us, and yet I think that is amazing. That He should want us to reflect the image of His Son. Isn't that wonderful? Do you think He's going to accomplish that? You might have looked in the mirror this morning and said, Oh my, a big, that's a miracle, right? Yes, it is a miracle. He will conform us to the image of His Son. That's guaranteed. I think it's amazing to be part of that. It says, so that he, that's Jesus, verse number 29, so that he would be firstborn, have first place among many brethren. And if that's not enough on the subject, that's why we're in verse number 30. Those whom he predestined, by way of action, we've talked about this, it's done. He also called. By way of action, done. And those whom he called, he also justified. By way of action, done. And then this one, I love it. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. By way of action, done. That's how convinced God is of this. He's already figured out the end of this for you. He could put the word glorified next to your name right now. Matter of fact, he are already seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? You're already there, as far as he's concerned. He will not have an empty seat around the throne. Wondering, I wonder why they didn't make it. He's already convinced of it. And he's pretty good at these things, isn't he? I think, I find great comfort in this, folks. I find incredible peace in the security of these words. Already done. That, that just amazes me. So, we have seen this in the last handful of sermons, especially on this passage. God is the subject of all of these actions. These are what God is doing. It's His work. It's His work. We believe it. We rest in it. We find our security in it. But mark it carefully. He... He predestined, verse 30. He called. He justified. He glorified. He did it. Now I want to complete verse 30 today because there are two more things I wanted to cover. When we went at it first time a couple weeks ago, I thought, well, I've got more to say that I'd like to share because there was so much richness in the passage. I said, let's, let's cover two more things today, and then we'll move on to verse 31. But the two, two things I want to highlight. What does it mean to be predestined, called, 
justified, glorified. I want to work a little bit on definitions this morning so you understand what that is. Because he did that to you, believer. And it's good for you to know what that is that he's done. So we'll talk about that in the first half. In the second half, I'm going to relate it to to today. Does this really make any significance for us? Does it have value for us? Is it just a a sermon, another study, God's Word? Are we going to just fold up the book when we're done and set it on the shelf and say, we did that verse? Or is there something more that this means to us than just the fact that we've studied it and seen it? I want to talk about significance when I get toward the end of this, especially in light of the busy, crazy kind of lives we live. So what does it mean first? Let's walk down this road. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. Four great words. Excellent words. We've talked about them in pieces because we've seen parts of them in the passage already. But predestined is one that we've seen just recently. Now we look at it again. Note, first of all, in verse 30, it's something he has done. He predestined. Some like to argue about the word. Oh, they love to argue about the word. Uh, predestined. What they think it means is that God predestined the believer to heaven, so he must have predestined the unbeliever to hell. That's the argument against some of that. And they say, that sounds logical. They say, it must be logical. Uh, That's what man thinks, but that's not what Scripture teaches. You're in Romans. Let's go over to the next chapter, chapter 9, which might take the next two years of our life if we chose that, too. But Matthew, or Romans chapter 9, verse 22 and 23, I want to show you something, and I think it's very important that you see it right now. It says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That's not a pleasant verse, is it? It speaks about God's wrath. It speaks about it being uh, directed toward these individuals called vessels of wrath and the fact that destruction is prepared. You say, ooh, that's a very dark little section. But it's true, God is just, isn't he? And there is a punishment, isn't there? And there is a place called not only hell now, but the lake of fire. Those things are true. God said so. He's never lied to us. So I say, okay, God, I see those words. But then look at verse 23. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. By the way, that would be you, believer. A vessel of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Now, The same word is used in verse 22, that's in verse 23, but 23 has been modified slightly. Verse 22, he's prepared vessels of wrath for destruction. In 23, he's prepared beforehand vessels of mercy for glory. You see a difference in the two phrases? Now, how does it work? Those who are destined for wrath, 
It's because they are unbelievers, and they're still in their sin. What did God say about that? God said, the soul that sins, it shall, it shall surely die. God said that the wages of sin is death. God made his decree way back in the beginning. He said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die, right? That was his decree. Everyone who falls into that is going to endure that decree. All right? So, how many of us deserve it? All. All of us. All of us, apart from God's mercy, would be lost. We'd be under His wrath. We'd be going to this destruction. It was prepared. Right? That's God's decree. For all who sin fall short of the glory of God. So, verse 22, those who are destined for wrath, it's because they are unbelievers, and that's the case of all mankind, and that's the the destiny that's set up for them. So, verse number 23 is a beautiful verse in light of that, that God has predestined some for glory, because they have received His gift of mercy. As uh, the president of Tyndale, many years ago, the founder of the the school, Dr. Couch, taught us. It was such a simple phrase. He says, the question is not, why did God choose some and not the others? The question is, why did he choose any at all? I said, oh. Oh. You see, predestined is a term for believers. Trace it in Scripture. See how many times it's used. It's not many, about six times. And five out of six times it talks directly about the joy of being a believer that God has prepared for us this eternal life and this salvation and all these great things of mercy. It says that. And you say, but one time it didn't? It talks about Pharaoh being predestined for a moment in history of opposing God's plan and thus brought about the exodus out of Egypt. In the end, those who uh, God had chosen in that day resulted wonderfully from such a word. I would say to you that it's a term designed basically for God's care for us. It's a term for believers. It's constantly telling us about God's loving care for the believer, that he has made plans for us because he doesn't save without a purpose. He doesn't save without a plan. He didn't accidentally save you. Or he was trying to save the guy next to you and it just kind of slipped and hit you. God has a reason. And that's what I like about this. Predestined is that term. He's mapped out the horizon concerning you. He, he's thought it through the boundaries, not to limit you, but to secure you in his work. He says, this is what I designed for you. And he works within that boundary. And he says, this is where you're safe in my plan. This is what I thought of from the beginning. This is how the end of it will look. This is my love for you. I predestined you. And it's a marvelous term. I like to link that with Philippians 1 verse 6. For I'm confident of this very thing, Paul wrote, that he who began the good work in you will complete it in Christ Jesus. He will. He'll perfect it in the day of Christ Jesus. 
Now, if you want to pro- protest anything about predestination, you, you could. I don't know why you would, to tell the truth. But you could. But it won't do you any good. He already did it. It's done. He's not waiting for our opinion, is he? He's not going to take up a poll to see how many people like the idea. It's done. It's done. So I like that word. And since he's planned already that way, he predestined you, he followed through, and he called you, it goes on to say, right? And those whom he predestined, he also called. That, by the way, is his action, and it is done. It is done. Again, God is the subject. We bring that before you. The Greek word kaleo is a beautiful little word. It's used for calling or inviting. I like the word invite. Uh, like inviting guests. It's summoning. You, you could summon somebody with a word like this. But calling is a one-way thing. It's a one-way thing. It's from God to you. He called you. It is his work. By the way, it's based on his character. How many times in scripture is the word calling next to the identity of who he is? I'll give you examples. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful, it says, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14. For it was for I mean it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Second Timothy one verse nine, who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Did you know it was that? A holy calling, not according to our works but according to His own purpose and grace, which He granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. It's His work. Now, that comes with a very powerful application, by the way, in Scripture. Called ones should live like it. How often that comes as the application passage, maybe the conviction passage, where he says in Colossians 3, verse 15, He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Or Ephesians 4 verse 1, maybe one you know very well. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. Now you want a life ambition, a life goal, a life task set before you? That's what the verse just said. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling by which you've been called. Live up to it. Boy, think that one through for a while. Because calling's not based on us. As I just gave you a sample of verses, it's only by his action. He did it. And if he didn't do it, it would not have happened. He called us. John 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now that sounds pretty, uh, pretty clear, doesn't it? 
Jesus is saying it, so it must be true. No man comes to the Father unless he draws them. Wow. Wow. John 6, 65, the same uh, chapter of the book of John, Jesus says again, and he was saying, For this reason I've said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Woo! Those are strong words. But that's the nature of the calling. It's God's to do. And if God has done that, and if he's called you, you want to protest it? You want to say, oh, I don't know. Lord, I, I kind of wanted to have a part in all that. You know what part I would have put into it? It would have made a mess of it. I guarantee it. I would have muffed it all up. I'm glad he did it. He did it. You could, you could, like I said, you could argue if you want, but it won't do you any good at this point because it's already done. He called you. And since he's predestined you and he's called you, he's also justified you. That's the next word we find here in the passage, justified. Who is the subject? God is. He did it. It's already done. He justified you. Now that's an amazing thing, because we try so hard to justify ourselves before Him. We go out of our way to make it look right. Right? We clean it up a little bit. Outwardly at least. Got to look good on Sunday. Of course God gets impressed when we look good, right? We, we think, Lord, I, I'll make a deal with you. And I, you know people like that, don't you? Who say, I'm just going to do this this way, God, and I know you're going to understand. And, and when I get up there, you're, we're going to balance this all out. And, and you know, then you'll you're see that I'm good enough. We, we, we do all kinds of things to try to match this word. We can't do it. We can't do it. It's God's department to justify because God is the judge. You see? It's God's department to justify. And this is what's amazing about the word. It's, it, to justify is to declare righteous. To declare righteous. That's a powerful concept. To, to actually grant to us justification. God has declared a sinner one who is guilty, not guilty. You say, well, how did he twist that one? He didn't twist that one. Let me explain it this way. Make it simple. You already told me the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. So, in God's justice, sin had the punishment of death, right? What did Jesus do for you? He died. Exactly so. He paid the penalty for our sin, right? He paid the penalty for our sin by his death on the cross. Was that sufficient in God's eyes to cover the cost? Oh, yes, it was. Because God dumped all of it on him. Read Isaiah 53 again. It just stuns me every time. How's that applied to us? It's by faith. We stand before God. Not on any merit of our own, but on the merit of the death of Christ. 
On the merit of the death of Christ, we stand before him and our sins are paid for. It will not be paid for any other way. Any other way. No other religion has this, folks. None. They make up all kinds of things to try to find justification. But God says, only through my Son, because He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. That's it. That's it. That's where you stand today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you stand before a holy God declared righteous. Wow! Wow! I, I'm, that's amazing to me. And here's the reality of it all. If God should condemn you as a believer for sin and make you pay that price tag after all, that means the death of Christ meant nothing to him. And you know it meant everything. God would not despise his son. Not the price he paid. Romans 3.26, it speaks of the demonstration, Paul says, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's both. He doesn't, he doesn't diminish in his character, in his justice. He didn't take one ounce out of his wrath. He didn't stop any part of what he expected of mankind and the wages of sin of death. He didn't erase any or decrease any or soften any. He's just. And yet he's a justifier. He could do both. A hundred percent. And that's how we stand before him. That's an amazing topic. Boy, you know, scripture just is loaded with this. But this one I like especially. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Which one were you? The just or the unjust? The unjust. Jesus died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God, having put to death, been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. <laughs> I don't take justification lightly. I hope you don't either. We were bought with a horrific price. But it was with great love. Now, if you want to protest that, I don't know why you would. But it still won't do you any good at this point. Why? It is done. It is done. You know what that means? You don't have to figure that one out today or tomorrow or the next week. Say, well, what am I going to do to just keep God, you know, so I, I'm still okay in His eyes? What, what, what do I need to keep to maintain this? What, what do I have to do to kind of support this? You know, He got it started, but isn't it up to me to finish it? Not justification, folks. It's done. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. It's done. Oh, I love that word. There's my security, too. Next word. Oh, that clock. You know, I haven't even hit part two yet. Look at all these pages. Ah. Well, you know what that means. We've got next week's message ready to go. Um, here we are, glorified, glorified. Since you are predestined, you are called. Since you are called, you are justified. 
since you are justified, He's glorified you too. Guess what? It's done. It's just as done as the first word. It's finished as far as He's planned it, and He's He's already glorified you. Do you know why? Huh? Well, a couple of things. I'll set a few thoughts in your mind. Number one, in First uh, Corinthians 15, you have to be changed. I'm sorry to say it. It's just true. We all have to be changed. We are mortal. We are perishable. These bodies, I don't know if you notice this, but they're not going to last forever. Not at this rate, huh? Well, we place enough parts, maybe. No. We know better. We've seen how it works. We know the process of all this. We say, oh my. You know, these bodies do not inherit the kingdom of God. They don't fit in heaven. Why? Heaven is a beautiful place. It's a, it's a place where we spend eternity and all those kind of things. These bodies aren't made for that. They have to be changed to live in that environment. They have to be changed from mortal to immortal. They have to be changed from perishable to imperishable. They have to be changed to get there. Now when you get there, that change is remarkable. Scripture says you're glorified. Alright? That's pretty neat. I like that. But here's another thing that goes along with that simple idea of being glorified. Jesus prayed for it. Does the Father give his son what his son asks for? John chapter 17. Did you know Jesus was praying for you? John 17 starts in verse 20. If you want to follow along right there, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. I'm going to have a whole bunch of verses here. But this is his prayer on your behalf. Yes, it is on your behalf. Because he first started praying about his own disciples. And then when he gets to verse 20, he says, And I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Is that you? Yeah. Okay. So what was he praying about? That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they, see my, that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Did you know that Jesus was so intent on you being with him forever that he asked his Father for that simple thing? Simple? Not so simple, is it? He asked his father, let him be with me. I want to share my glory. Wow. 
He prayed that. His father grants that. You're an answer to the Lord's prayer. Let that settle in for a minute. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 4, all the way through verse number 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. As far as God is concerned, when Jesus rose from the dead, you rose with him. And it says, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's already done. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness, or his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. We are. When it says that we shall be glorified, what does God ever do that comes short of glory? You're His workmanship. What do you think you're going to be? Glorified. It has to be that way. That's the only way God works. We're going to stand before Him glorified. As far as God is concerned, that's our identity. That's who we are now. We saw it earlier in Romans 8, verse 17. And if we're children, we're heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may be glorified with Him. That's just our identity. What he is, what he's done, is a part of us. It's our identity. Now, if you really want to protest that whole concept, I don't know why you would. But I kind of like the idea that this word glorified is done. God has done it. That's his plan, folks. Those are the words I wanted to define for you today. In his plan, he predestined you, he called you, He justified you. He glorified you. He followed all the way through. And he did it all. He did it all. It's done. There's nothing else for us to wait for except for him to take us. And then you say, oh, Paul was right in that book of Romans. When we stand before the Lord someday, as Jude says, when we stand before him blameless with great joy what a day is coming I hope that you can rest in these words today they're theological words they cost you a lot of money to go to seminary and learn all that stuff but it's great that God just gave it for free we have it Heavenly Father we rejoice in these words today they are big words They're big because of what you've done. They're big in the concept of what you've accomplished, how how you've done all these things and all the parts that fit so perfectly down to every, every detail you have accomplished it, Lord. The big things and the little things are from your hands. As I said earlier in this passage, you caused all things to work together for good. That good thing that will make us like the 
Christ that we love and serve, that will conform us to his image. That's an amazing, amazing thing you're doing. And that you have accomplished it. We rest in that today. We rest in the fact because we know it. Now as your word so quickly turns that to application, since we are these things, may we live like it. May we go from this place today knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, knowing that we've been predestined and called and justified and glorified. May we live this life according to that calling, to the glory of our God. Thank you, Lord, for challenging us with such a precious, precious passage. We give you the praise today. We rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.